Hi, this is Stu Holiday. This is the Focus Mind podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're well. This episode is a bit different to normal. I've been busy in the last few months. Been over in Germany, being the sports psychologist for Team UK at the Invictus Games. An amazing experience working with all the athletes and staff and coaches over there. Came back. And the week I returned, I was having to launch a new book with Dr. Noel Brick, a former guest on this podcast. And from that interview, we spoke a bit more and he invited me to collaborate with him on a book published a month ago, September 2023, called The Psychology of Running, which is part of Routledge's Psychology of Everything series, which is a really interesting concept What it is, is that they have commissioned various authors, experts in their field to write very accessible, non-academic, non-wordy book on a subject of their choosing. So in this series, you've got things from the psychology of gardening to the psychology of chess to the psychology of performance. And Noel took it upon himself that he wanted to write about the psychology of running. In the episode, he will explain how I got involved. And just to make it interesting, we also invited a former research collaborator, Dan Robinson, who I'll explain his background when I introduce them as the guests. And the idea that I had for this episode was that I wanted you, the listener, to be able to listen to what we're saying is in the book, how it can help runners, coaches, sports scientists, and people who are just interested from the public in running. It was just a very relaxed conversation between the three of us talking about how we did research that aimed to do something similar in the first place, how that led to the work that Noel does and how that fed into the book. So it's really additional piece that you can listen to in conjunction with having the book and be able to pull out some useful things from the book with some detail on what we speak about. In the show notes, you'll find links to discounted copies of the book if you want to order it, as well as videos for the Resist Project, which we discuss. And I hope that you enjoy our 45 minutes conversation. So this is Stu Holiday. Welcome to the Focus Mind Podcast. With me today, I have Dan Robinson and Noel Brick. Dan, do you just want to say hi to everyone out there? Hi to everyone out there. Noel, likewise, your second time on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on again, Stu. This time, we've got something tangible to talk about. For last month, Noel and I had a book published by Routledge called The Psychology of Running in the series The Psychology of Everything, available online if you Google those two titles. 
And what I'm trying to do today in this episode is support the book by talking through how readers can use it on top of hopefully enjoying it just as a book to read for enjoyment, uh, maybe to educate themselves and get some take-homes that uh, we're trying to intend to get across as authors to support your running. So this episode in short is how to get the most out of the psychology of running. And to help us alongside Noel and I, the co-authors of the book, we have a run coach, run researcher, and also top athlete. And that that isn't three people, that's just one person. And that's Dan Robinson. Dan, can you explain to people who may not know you, how come you, you cover all three bases? I'm, I'm not sure I do cover all three bases quite in the way you've described. But so yeah, running coach kind of came to that relatively late. I've been coaching five, six years now. Alongside that, I work at the University of Wolverhampton doing research far inferior to Knowles, but doing my best to do some research into some psych, some physiology stuff. And yeah, I'm still at my advanced age, hacking around the odd race as best I can. Yeah, maybe underplaying your talents as an athlete, but... For anyone who doesn't know, Dan is pretty speedy, speedier than Noel and I, and still continues to post good times. So for me, as someone who's written this book with Noel, and that's our target audience, it just felt the right thing to do to try and get him on board. Another reason why as well is that all three of us were involved in a project called Resist. You get a prize if either of you can remember what Resist stands for. <laughs> Essentially, faces. startled faces, which aren't seen on podcasts. Essentially, what Resist was as a project was answering the, the question how come when endurance runners are going at pace, they have the desire to slow down or stop? Which I think would be a kind way of letting people know about it. It was a few years ago that uh, this project was being done, and uh, Noel provided information in this specialist area i think it was on attention specifically dan and i were supporting andy and his work uh, at wolverhampton if memory serves well and what that we made project... we made lots of tea didn't we Stu? <laughs> a lot of tea the project was really good it broke down some of the things we cover in this book around how runners can resist that urge to slow down or stop but it was really nice because as far as i could see it was one of the few projects in sports psychology where very, a lot of key academics were all coming together to offer resources to the public. Simple, straightforward, evidence-based advice. Before we get into the book, can you just give us a recollection, both of you, of what it was that you enjoyed about being on that project? For me, and, and I'm going to apologize to Alistair McCormick here, who, who came up with the Resist title. From memory, I think it was research and evidence-based strategies intended to support training. I think that's what it stood for. Apologies, Alistair, if I've got that wrong. But yeah, so the Resist Group is really a group of researchers from, from across a number of different institutions. Andy, who you mentioned, both of you, myself at Ulster University, Carla Mayan, who's now at St. Mary's, Dominic Michael-Wright, Sam Marcora, David Marchant at Eight Hill, Alistair McCormick, who, who I mentioned as well at Marjon. Really just a group of researchers who had done a lot of work around endurance performance, psychology of endurance performance for, from a number of different angles, looking at strategies like motivational self-talk or attentional focus strategies and how that can help both performance and also, I guess, making 
activities like running feel easier or feel more pleasant. Dominic had done a lot of work around pacing and understanding you know, how people pace activities. So really, I suppose it, it brought a lot of minds together. It was, it was funded by DCEP, the Division of Sport and Exercise Psychology of the BPS. And it really, I suppose, it allowed us kind of to just meet and chat and bring some ideas together about how we can use psychological strategies to, to help support endurance performance and endurance training. So it was a lot of fun. We, we, we got a really nice review paper published about maybe three months ago, I think it was during the summer uh, or maybe before the summer that it was published. And really what we set out in that was the evidence base for a lot of strategies that I know we'll talk about in this podcast, like self-talk, uh, relaxation, distraction, etc., and, and how those can help, you know, I suppose two of the main outcomes either help us to run faster or make the activity feel easier and, and feel more pleasant and so that we're more likely to do it longer term. So it was a lot of fun, um, really enjoyable and, and and probably some of my best memories from it are, are just working with a brilliant group of people. Dan. Yeah, I was pretty starry-eyed, to be honest, going into that. These were like my rock stars. So I was pretty lucky to be allowed to do a bit of proofreading and like go and fetch a coffee. It was great for me as well because I was still at that time trying to run as fast as I could. So I felt like I had this like team all coming up with different things for me to try. I was not shy in giving a lot of the strategies a go in, in training and in races. So it was it was brilliant from a experiment on the self as well point of view. But yeah, just like I think Everyone had a real shared mindset to try and understand a little bit more about how we can achieve those two things that Noel outlined. And it was really about coming up with something useful that would really impact the activity and, and the fact that there's a huge population of people out there running these mass participation races. Can we actually come up with something as researchers that might help those people? That, to me, was a great aspect of it. Yeah. And uh, finally, bringing up the rear here, I think, I've seen that the resources that we had, because the idea behind it was delivery through little mini video clips. So Noel was doing a piece to camera, Andy, Alistair, you're talking about Carla. So I think the original website got taken down, but they still exist. So in the show notes, what I'll do is try and pull what's left of it together and then put that on the end of the podcast notes. So if anyone's listening and wondering how they can use something brief in their running, whether that's a park run and a long training run, we're coming up to the Valencia Marathon and in the new year, spring marathon training. So they're tools that if you read the book, small plug, and use those tools, that there's, there's a double whammy there that could help you either get faster or enjoy your running more or stop you from slowing down. Okay, so firstly, you've read the book, Dan, and I'm sure Noel and I would be fascinated to hear what you made of it and what particularly stood out when you're someone like you've just been saying there that knows the subject pretty well so you've been behind the curtain you've seen what the magic trick is <laughs> what when you read this book was stood out for you thinking about other runners or coaches well this is difficult isn't it because i'm now going to flatter both of you to your to your face as it were but um the, the thing i like i said i read it in a single sitting that's the, that's the honest truth um, at a weekend and, and couldn't put it down. And, and I think the, the reason for that was I, I came at it just wanting to read that book like I would read any other running book, like just out of a personal interest, not necessarily approaching it from an academic point of view or 
to review it in any way. I was just reading it out of interest. And the thing that jumped out was that obviously there's an understanding of trying to apply these things in the real world is very different to just writing about a theory. I think the case studies that you used were a really nice way to, to get that idea across. It seemed pretty relatable, but, but also the fact that, you know, I think the chapters that you chose direct the reader really nicely. I read it all the way through, but you could easily pick it up and say, okay, well, I want to feel better while I'm running or, or as a result of my running, I'm going to read that chapter or there's an interest in like a, a running based program for well-being in, in kids or whatever it might be, the stuff there. So I think there was a, there's a really good balance of stuff. I think if you, if you're interested enough to read a running book, there's, there's plenty there for you. And obviously it carries with it the, the gravitas of the, the evidence base that you guys introduced throughout. So that, you know, that aspect is still there, but it doesn't get in the way. It doesn't bog it down. It doesn't feel dry or like a chore to, to get through. So I think I gave it a five-star Amazon review and that wasn't even biased in any way. It was just a, an honest opinion. Thank you very much, first of all, for that very kind explanation from your perspective, Dan. Uh, but he wasn't paid to say that. We just want to make that clear. And I'm just looking at the book now and there's 137 pages. And for me, it's a mini guide. So it's, it's like he said, you can read it in one sitting. It's not obligatory, but it's not a massive weighty tome. So that's why I think it could be quite useful, me being biased, that if you've been using it in your training and you then go away to a half marathon, full marathon, you could have it in your kit bag. It's very easy to take away with you. But in the beginning, Dan and I knew about this book before I got involved. Noel is the original brains behind this publication and who started it in the first place. So, Noel, I'd be interested from your perspective to find out, tell listeners, what was your main intention when you first started thinking about writing the book? What, were you, what was on your mind about why it needed to come out into the world? I suppose... You know, you might imagine that we sort of write these things to to have have a book in your hand, have a book on the shelf, to have a book on Amazon. But that was a little bit like my running career. That was never really the motivation, the, the end result. It, it was pretty just to, to learn more, to get better at something and to really write it down on paper as a process of doing that. Why not write a book when you're trying to learn more about running? So for me, the, the primary motive was I suppose to give a bit of context and background, my my PhD uh, that I completed in 2016 was was really about attentional focus and endurance activity, and I guess that grew from my own. Dan used the word hacking to describe him. I'm not sure I can come up with a suitably slower word to describe me, but you know, plodding around the place as as a runner myself. For me, I think you know some of my experiences led to my PhD, learning about what I think about, what I focus on, what I say to myself, and how that impacts on how fast I run, how easy it feels. That led to, to a, a series of, of, of studies through my PhD, which really were exploring attentional focus and how that impacts on running performance, endurance broadly, but, but running was the main focus. And really then, I suppose, you know, coming from that research background, there was an opportunity to, to write this book. And, you know, some of the chapters 
very much, I suppose, came from my learnings through my PhD. That you know, there's a chapter in there on strategies like goal setting, self talk, and there's a, a separate chapter in there on attentional focus. So you know, using strategies like music, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and how that can impact on on our running performance on how it feels etc but going back to the learning piece i also wanted to learn about other things that i hadn't really focused and, and researched too much before like for example how running can benefit our our mental health and our well-being so we've we've got a chapter in there on that and also over the past few years i learned you know and dan alluded to these i learned about some programs based on running so you know one for example is park run that most people will at least heard of if, if not participated in, but also some programs like as one called Girls on the Run, which uses running as a vehicle to learn like emotion regulation, assertiveness uh, skills. And I was just fascinated by those programs and I was fascinated about the, the many different ways that running can be used as a vehicle for be it mental health, for performance, for, for learning, but life in, in general. And, and I wanted to learn more about those and, and write about those as I learned about those. So, so that was probably some of the primary motives. Going back to, I suppose, then, you know, the, the final bit on that is our collaboration on it, Stu. Um, I probably reached about maybe a year into the process and had very little on paper and, and was struggling to get started on the book. Um, I think I had one chapter written and just the busyness of, of being an academic and, and a researcher and uh, and a practitioner as well. I was struggling to find the time to to sort of get things down on paper. So reached out, asked if you'd be interested. I suppose you know part of that collaboration was, and it's good to hear some of the feedback from Dan, part of that collaboration was, you know, not that it was going to be an academic book, but actually that a coach, a runner would be able to pick this up and, you know, that it was readable, it was accessible and that there would be things that everybody could learn from that they could apply to their own coaching or their own running performance. And, and I think it really grew from there. And and so it's good to hear some of that feedback that that's, that's what the book maybe does. It tries, definitely. And Dan touched on the fact that I think he'd be a self-confessed running nerd and certainly running book nerd as well. And has, I can imagine his bookshelf full of many, many great books over the years. But for you, Noel, when you were coming up with the book, were there any touchpoint publications that you had in mind? Not that you were either going to mimic, but where you felt the book would fit against some of them. Yeah, I, I suppose it was kind of, you know, finding a niche. You're taking me back a, a bit in time now, and I'm trying to think of, of some of the, the books that I wrote about in that original publication, proposal, sorry. Certainly one that comes to mind straight away is Endure, Alex Hutchinson's absolutely brilliant book. And I suppose where I would see this, you know, Endure broadly looks at endurance across a lot of domains. Where I would see similarities is that it comes from a similar evidence-based perspective, I guess, in, in that it's, it's really heavily backed up by the science. I suppose I kind of wanted a book that differed slightly in terms of this was purely focused on the research around running and the different areas, and it touches on other aspects that maybe Endure doesn't. So again, I mentioned things like running and, and well-being, mental health, running programs like Park Run, Girls on the Run. Um, I'm absolutely not claiming that I've any writing abilities anywhere close to Alex Hutchinson. That's another thing maybe differentiates those two books. But but I think, you know, there was a niche there. I felt certainly for for a book that was focused on endurance activities, yes, but specifically on on the psychology of endurance activities across a lot of different a lot of different areas, a lot of different domains. Yeah. Um I definitely felt the the, the touch of endure in what we were trying to do there and 
again, I think we've, I mean, I've had Matt, Matt Fitzgerald on the show. He's been sent a copy of the book and I think he find, he's really good at finding that line of writing for all runners, but with a really solid evidence base. And so it's, it's both like got power in so far as anyone can read it, but equally it's, we know as practitioners that he's not making stuff up. It's come from a really good place that he's diligent researcher uh, in what he does just going back to um your writing though Noah you are doing yourself down around uh your your capabilities I think your prose is is really it's so readable and uh I think my favorite line uh, from the whole book I've got here just to slightly embarrass you is you in the first chapter on why we run you talk about evolutionary reasons about rationale of why we used to run and how we've got the capacity for endurance. And then you say, these days we're more likely to dress up as a zebra in a big city marathon than we are to run one into exhaustion across the open savannah. (laughs) (laughs) I actually laughed out loud when I saw that. And um, yeah, uh, I like the way that you set the book up by basically asking the question, why is it we actually run? And I didn't even know some of the stuff that you'd put in there and done research on so for me that was a really great way to then give us the access to everything else about some of the problems and possible solutions i'll bring dan in again and i i've got this theory that that i've said to you before we got on the call that i think when people start running and you might see this in your coaching people are often doing it from a physical perspective they're they're just getting fit or if they're fit they're getting quicker or trying to train to get better and it goes from being a more of a physical activity to more of a mental one wondered whether that's a pattern that you think is true of the people you've coached and you've seen on the running journey um yeah I I think that that probably is true before I answer that I'll address the accusation of geekery or nerdery or every the right word is I looked this morning because I thought you'd say something like that your book is between once a runner by John L. Parker and the Steve Magnus on my bookshelf. So there you go. That's pretty good company. Okay. Um, you, sh- you should you should take that. I think one of the it's, it's such an obvious thing to say, and this might it might be so obvious it's stupid, but like the, one of the brilliant things about running is that we can train two things at the same time, right? We can, and we're almost forced to. So you're training the physical aspect, but your brain's doing something. So it might as well be developing different strategies to help to help with the activity you're carrying out and I think people realize that fairly early on and then it's about the purpose of the running for me so if you're coaching someone who is you know a participation runner and it's about their it's about their health it's about their well-being it's about that aspect of the sport then I think that brings one set of kind of psychology to the table if it's about them looking to achieve some performance goals and that brings another but it's, it's pretty inescapable that at some point fairly quickly they're going to be dealing with the kind of thoughts that, that come up during their running or processing the stuff that's happening in their day and and using it from from that side of things so I think there's always going to very quickly be a shift from thinking of it purely as a physical activity when perhaps in the in- initial stages when it's very daunting people get that get that thought but then once they've been at it a little while, I think it, it rapidly shifts to being at least as much about the psychology. It's about, sometimes it's about the psychology of the first minute, right? Like getting out mm. the door. Mm. Like how it, it starts before you're running, right? Like how do you 
like get off the couch and get into the kit and do the first bit and then you know you realize maybe the rest of it takes care of itself so I think yeah I, I completely agree I think it does it does start with physical but rapidly morphs into something that is more about people's mental approach to it yeah and I think there aren't a lot of primers out there really that help people with that it's almost a given and people have to go off and find the right book for them to be able to implement what they need and that's where Matt has done a really great job in his book writing but you you know he's written so many where do you begin this tries to kind of keep it quite tight and the last chapters as you say go into the mental health benefits and the broader society ways in which running can connect people improve their lives which I really really like but uh, one of the things that I'm looking at and thinking about when I'm discussing this as a bit of a guide potentially is the chapters two three and four about how runners can essentially read highlight and test different psychological aspects in their running is that how you feel the book's framework functions Noel? yeah i mean i guess going going back i kind of took one or two notes as dan was mentioning there and it's maybe just kind of nice part of of the answer to, to your question as well you know we spoke we speak in the first chapter about I guess why we run from two perspectives: one, an evolutionary perspective, and and two, I guess our mo- current motives and and motivational perspective. But when Dan was speaking about running, and I thought it was a great line: running isn't just a physical activity; it's 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 also a mental activity. It stimulates our our brain, our cognitive functions, uh, as well as our our physical functions as well. And and without going sort of, I suppose, too deep a dive into to some of the science in here, but. One area that's fascinated me quite a while, for quite a while is how running stimulates uh, cognitive functions and stimulates our brain to adapt as well as, you know, I think most people would recognize that our muscles, you know, our endurance capacity improves, our heart gets stronger as we run, but but our brain changes too. Yeah. And, and we talk about a theory in there called the adaptive capacity model, which the nuts and bolts of it really says that when when we stimulate our brain through activities like running, which is a physically but also mentally demanding activity, our brain adapts as, as a result of that stimulation. And, and one sort of really nice example of that, and maybe sort of highlight some of the types of activities that we talk about in here is, is orienteering, where you're running, so it's physically demanding, but you've also got to to, to navigate. You've, you've got to use your memory to remember, I've got to be able to read a map and then translate what you read to the terrain surrounding you. So all those cognitive processes are, are really challenging for our brain and our brain adapts and responds. And, and there's one really nice study which showed that when they sort of performed tests of spatial awareness and, and spatial abilities in orienteers versus people who are equally physically active, those cognitive abilities were better in people who orienteers than, than people who were equally physically active but didn't orienteer. So it shows that sort of additive uh, cognitive task stimulates our brain. And so what does that look like for the everyday runner? Well, for me, I'm quite fortunate. I, I kind of live in a an area where I can get a, into nature pretty easily. And when I'm out there, I'm sort of, I'm challenging myself. So, okay, can I complete a few loops of this forest without repeating the same area in the same direction? So now I'm sort of planning, I'm sort of thinking what way I'll go, all those kind of things. If I'm running through a town, I might be doing a, doing, doing a similar thing. So we're mentally and physically active. So that's one part, that's one area. And we speak about that in, in the first chapter. 
But the other thing is, you know, the, the other part of the psychology of it is, okay, what strategies can I use if I want to go faster? And and these are some of the other things then as, as we go into sort of chapters three and, and chapters four. And what I really like about those, and I know we'll sort of maybe get into these in, in a little bit more detail. I guess what I really like about some of the content in there is the research on, if I was to take one area, self-talk and, and how what we say to ourselves um, can have such a big impact on how we perform, uh, both in a good way and in a bad way. But also, well, I say it can have such a big impact. It can be very simple things and a very simple strategy to learn how to use effectively. I went out for a run earlier on this today, and, and a part of that, there was a very steep hill, probably about, I don't know, at points, maybe about a 7% incline. So you're talking yourself through it. You're sort of, you know, little things like just keep going, get to the top. When you get to the th- top, I promise you can stop and take a rest. And of course, when you get to the top, it's like, no, you're not going to stop. You keep going. But it's those little things that get you through tough moments. And, and in a race can mean that you you ultimately run run a faster time or, or perform better in those tough segments of an event. So while I'm going off in a ramble, maybe for me, it's those little, those sort of aspects of, of running in terms of how you can challenge us cognitively. And, and, and stimulate our brain, but also how it challenges us in terms of strategies we use and the simple things that we say to ourselves and how they can have an impact as well. Yeah, and that's a nice way to bring Dan in on 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 that coaching and experience runner point of view with from what you read in the book around those strategies. When you're coaching, I imagine that you're probably more of a psychologically informed coach than Bob down the road because of what you do. What, what are often the things that you're helping your runners with, with this knowledge that Noel's talked about and that's in the book? I, I guess for my, my approach has always been learning about them to begin with and seeing what sort of things they've self-selected because the reality is if you've been running for any length of time at all, you will have self-selected some coping strategies. And, you know, kind of like Noel described, you know, you've people don't even realise they're doing it, but they're talking their way to the top of a hill there, They've, they've suffered in an event where they've been going lamppost to lamppost and walking through an aid station or whatever it is. They've, they've done this stuff without necessarily understanding the evidence base for it or whatever. That's not required. So I suppose it's the initial thing is to kind of try and learn them as a person a little bit, see if you can understand what sort of things, what sort of strategies they've selected, try and tease out which ones maybe they've, they've felt worked or didn't. Often it's, it's a process of kind of making them more conscious about the use of those and then after you've done that I think then you can maybe make the odd suggestion but it's still I think I found in that applied setting it's so much more effective when they've got a big input into whichever strategy they're they're using um, that that belief effect thing I think is massive in that and obviously you're not as a running coach of somebody who's a, a recreational runner or, a, or, or at least a, a keen amateur whichever description we go for that you're not spending huge chunks of the week having individualized psych sessions and, and whatever else it's it's about what can be achieved within the training budget they've got etc so it's about okay well on the, on the long run on sunday maybe we'll try this in that tough middle section or whatever it is and then just get a little bit of a a feedback in in the training diary or whatever it is and and try and kind of gradually finesse it that way so yeah i think it is a big part of it it's important not to for me, it's always been important not to overemphasize what can be achieved through those strategies. You know, like they're not they're not the a complete silver bullet to like com- revolutionize your performance the next day or whatever it is. It's a it's a gradual process. But you know, most people who are 
kind of consistently running except that the gains are gradual over time so you've kind of already got that mindset in place a lot of the time so they're, they're willing to work at something they're willing to give something a chance to work and develop a skill over time so it's quite a good audience for that approach i guess in, in that respect we've talked there about often breaking things down in order to make them easier you're someone who's performed at a very good level and you've read through the chapters i think it's chapter three about running how do i run faster I'd be interested just for you to personally share if you're comfortable doing so just sort of from your own experience and memory of what we've got in there that that you implement what is it that you you do that helps you maintain the speed or push on if you need to try and increase it i am happy to share but i'm not i'm not for a second going to advocate anyone copies this approach so <laughs> i think that the, the self-talk thing Noel was talking about is really interesting to me because I, def- I think we all use self-talk at times or it's, you know, it's pretty, it's a universal thing. I certainly do. I think I kind of have got myself to the point of if, I, if it's a real A race or something I've really trained hard for over a long time, I try to take some of the stuff out of the equation before I get to the event. So the fact that it's going to hurt, the fact that it's going to be very unpleasant, those are, those are good things because... I don't want to train and breeze around and feel like having another 15 minutes in the tank in a marathon or whatever. So a bit of that stuff in advance and then, and then just try and select a, a, a sort of toolkit of strategies. I think we use some of this thinking in, in the resist project where you've got different things you can apply at different moments. And, and so having that toolkit in itself can feel like a bit of a, a, a comfort blanket, a, a, some sort of insurance against a difficult situation. You know, you've got various things you can introduce for difficult moments, but yeah, that, like some of it's fairly simple. I mean, it will be around for me, eliminating that question of, uh, am I willing to slow down or am I willing to reduce the effort? So the, the discomfort reduces, well, no. So we know that's not happening before we even get there. Um, so then it's not, you're not in that battle then of, Am I going to slow? Am I going to not necessarily slow down because I've slowed down in plenty of marathons, but am I going to reduce the effort to reduce this discomfort? That's not even a question. It's more about the self-talk that can ensure that I hold myself to account in that in that respect. I mean, that that's a can feel like a fairly brutal experience on the other side of the race, but also it's probably the one I've had the most satisfaction out of in terms of chasing a goal, whatever it might be, if it's a time goal or whatever. I know I know um, outcome goals are sometimes you know uh, that's a, like a dirty term or whatever but I, I've I've often had outcome goals I'll be completely honest about that and it's been you know there's a marathon in 2017 uh, running for for the England Masters team where it was it was like 2.29.59 was a success 2.30.00 was an abject failure so that was as simple as that. And I, it's as arbitrary as anything else. It, it makes no sense. But that, that was, you know, at the time, that was the mindset I went in with. And that did help me in the final stages because I, I, you know, I was on, I was close enough to the target that that became a huge motivation to go through uh, quite a lot of discomfort to get to the end. So I think even, you know, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for outcome goals being the thing that we start with, but I also wouldn't completely dismiss them either because I know that, that they, they have their just like everything has its place they have their place so that's really helpful no, really really helpful and gives gives listeners a sense of how you use tools that are mentioned in the book and they can play with that in their training play with that in races we do talk about goal setting i think we'd all agree that 
nowadays you i can't move reading about follow the process follow the process but like you say yes process goals hugely important hugely helpful but having an outcome goal as well probably as well as the process goal is going to give you the performance you're you're seeking i'm i'm reminded of a a fairly lively debate we had in one of our resist meetings about goals and i remember dan you were adamant that yeah performance goals are important and have a place and and i remember i guess we were sort of saying you know process process and i think as we explore these things there's a really fascinating series of studies beginning about 2020 on non-specific open goals led by Christian Swan, Trish Jackman, and uh, Rebecca Hawkins. They're probably some of the the people who've done a lot of the good work in this area. So I guess the traditional goal that we would sort of usually all think about is is sort of a specific, a smart, specific goal. So it's a specific time for a specific distance. Um, So like 2.29.59, as as you mentioned, and like, you know, that outcome, it's, it's a failure if I don't achieve that. So in, in their research, they, they speak about open goals and an open goal is really go and run and see how well I can do or, you know, enter a half marathon, and see how fast I can go. So there's no specific time around the open goal and moving slightly away from the process performance outcome goals into sort of uh, non-specific and specific goals. But the slight nuances of that, what, what they found in their research is that for, for beginners, for novices, open goals, so non-specific goals tend to be more enjoyable, perceived as more enjoyable and also less pressurized or people feel, you know, that they don't, because there isn't some target to hit, there's no pressure to hit that target. So I can go and enjoy a walk or run without that pressure. But what they've also found is that more experienced individuals actually prefer the specific goals, the specific targets. And so that absolutely makes sense um, well, and, and lines with what Dan was saying about, you know, that specific target uh, as something that I want to and that I value and, th- and that I almost feel like I need to try to achieve. And I would have been the same, you know, going into marathons. I would have had very specific targets. Dan coached me brilliantly for a while to try to do get down to to a sub three. I just was never good enough. I, I will admit that now, but I did run my fastest marathon being coached by Dan. But that target was what I chased that and that's what motivated me and that's what I wanted to to achieve. So again, the nuances about what sort of goals work best, when and for who are important to understand as well. And that it's not kind of, you know, this type of goal is good and this type of goal is bad. It's a lot more nuanced than that. And I guess that's some of the stuff that we try to go into in the book to explain those differences and to explain what works for who and when different types of goals might work best. And that's used them optimally, really, like what, yeah. the, what the evidence tells us. And the evidence that you've you've put in there about open goals, I think really kind of is clear to me about that journey that we often see runners go on, like their early journey, a bit more open. Let's see what you've got, put it out there. And then as people learn about training, learn about themselves, their body and their mind, then they can kind of sharpen the axe that little bit more. And often, of course, by that point, there's probably less that they can take off in terms of PBs because once you've, you know, you start, you can take off big chunks because you're getting fitter by the time you're getting towards performance goals, where it's like your personal best like Dan was describing, there's less that you can actually manage. I think that's a really great point. I think from the coaching perspective, some of the most enjoyable coaching is with people in that early phase where they're making huge improvements basically on the on the back of just getting a lot fitter and they have they you know often that's in some respects the most purely enjoyable 
part of of anyone's running career because you don't know you don't really know what's possible you're kind of constantly surprising yourself because you may be upset you know an idea in your mind about what might and then go firing past it just through doing a, a bit of consistent training and, and as you say Stuart that plateau we all unfortunately reach where the the games become harder from a, from a purely physical or physiological perspective is is the point when maybe these strategies if you're if you're interested in performance are the most valuable because they can they can then have that impact that that almost that naivety is uh, uh, really that almost chimes with me in terms of those open goals that Noel was talking about in the sense of oh well I'm a sort of wide-eyed wonder going out and running and no this isn't actually as hard as I was anticipating I can remember I mean I think my first marathon I'd I aimed at running 3.30, thought I'd gone through halfway, as everyone had told me you would, too fast, and kind of got to about 20 and thought, oh, actually, this is all right. I, I, like, I think I can get to the end now. I'm just going to go a bit quicker. And that, in some respects, that's the most fun running's ever been because I was like waiting for this horrible thing to happen and it didn't, and I just felt better and better. And, you know, certainly none of the none of the PB type efforts have ever had any feeling like that. There've been a lot of physical discomfort and, and, and kind of really trying to find the ways to grind it out mentally. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot that aligns with the kind of experience from coaching people who are in that early phase in what, in what you both said there. Yeah. And here we come into the contradiction of the third of those three chapters, which is how can I make running enjoyable when almost by its nature, if you're doing distance running, it's going to get hard and that is the contradiction I think that if you really enjoy running that you're always constantly battling the suffering versus enjoyment equation and we write in there quite a lot about attention which is Noel's specialist subject from uh, PhD days and just to close I think we're, we're probably coming up to a reasonable point to let people really feel they've got the most out of this book let's go back to enjoyment and whether or not you're near the beginning, middle or end of your running career, what for you is the enjoyment strategy or tool that you, you both of you use in order to help yourself get through those sticky patches? Philosophical question, purely because there are so many levels to that, so many things to say about in terms of, you know, what, what, do, I, what do I enjoy about running or, or what is enjoyable about running? I guess, you know, on a number of different levels, it's purely the challenge. The challenge, it almost sounds like an open goal. It's not quite but the challenge sometimes is just going out and seeing what you can do and testing yourself. I guess that belief, that self-efficacy you get of just going out and realizing I can still run from my capabilities relatively quickly. It's the enjoyment of just getting out. Again, I mentioned earlier, I live quite close to nature and my goal is to go and enjoy a run. Uh, my go-to is, is somewhere in nature. I'm very fortunate I live close to a forest. I live close to a beach. And exercising for me in those green or blue environments is probably one of the most enjoyable things about running, just getting out in nature, in the scenery, that sense of awe you sometimes get because you never quite know what you're going to see around the corner. For me, it could be anything from, from a rabbit to a deer. And that's a hugely enjoyable part of it as well. But also going out and doing a 5K as hard as I possibly can and feeling absolutely horrendous during it, but completing it and knowing I push myself to my limits that's enjoyable too so you know those, those are the opposite ends of the lovely easy run and the hardest I can possibly go run but 
but they all have enjoyable elements. And I suppose I kind of say some of those things because, you know, what's enjoyable is different for everybody. Uh, those are some of the things that are enjoyable for me. It almost sounds like, you know, this episode should be called In Praise of Running. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's quite an eclectic mix of things, but all enjoyable. Yeah. And this advice and guidance in there, which we will, if people read, they'll be able to see how they can maximize those different types of race or run that you're proposing Noel I'll come to one of the specific tools that we talk about that I particularly like but I'm going to go to Dan and ask him for his best uh, yeah, way to enjoy I mean, things I'm being far too complimentary Noel's that was a yeah almost an inspiring summary of what can be good about running but I, I suppose for me I, I might be a bit more prosaic I don't know but it's there's a difference between the stuff that I enjoy and the stuff that I find satisfying. So, and probably just describing a similar thing to, to that, which Noel just did, but, but in a different, in a slightly different way. So the best run is the super slow, like recovery run the day after. So did quite a hard session last night. This morning's run started off feeling incredibly stiff, so going as, but going as slowly as I needed to. And over the course of, 45 minutes or whatever it was gradually feeling better and knowing that it didn't matter that the watch was beeping slower than like perhaps other people might think it should or, or whatever that is and and that's the, the like the sort of the pure enjoyment side because you're feeling better as you go you can stop and smell the roses as it were on, on your way around and just enjoy the surroundings you've got no oxygen debt to be distracting you from from looking at the scenery or whatever it is but then the other side is you know, finding a session quite daunting before you tackle it and then getting through it and, and using some of the strategies that you guys highlight in the book to, to, to work your way through it and and feel like you didn't quit at any point, feel like you, you know, you got, you ran it with the right intensity, whatever that might mean in terms of speed and and you're going to get the, the, the result or the, you know, you're going to get the adaptation if that, if it's a training session that you were aiming for. So I think for me, it's always a division of like, I need to take something from everyone. So it's either enjoy it or that sense of satisfaction from having achieved what I wanted to achieve, even though it might've had moments when it was, when it was challenging. So kind of that, I was thinking about that kind of idea of it, like, you know, that those sort of run happy cliches and that kind of thing. There are times when, when you're definitely doing that, but there are also times which, which are almost a necessity of of trying to improve that you're not that you're not doing that and I, and I think that's okay I, I just try to frame that as well you know I'm I'm hitting the goal for that session or I'm, fe- I'm feeling some satisfaction about that afterwards like the when you when you sort of force yourself into a sit down shower at the end of a session or whatever that's a pretty satisfying feeling even though that might sound quite odd in the abstract I guess I totally understand what you're describing and those those recovery runs that you're describing i always describe to myself as being well earned and often i'm describing them as tin man runs because if you've run the session the night before properly hard at the track or threshold that first mile you're running like the tin man and (laughs) aching as much as like your joints aren't oiled and i think the thing that like threads between both of your answers for me is that attentional uh narrowing and extending that is talked about in the book when you're either in a hard session and you need to narrow down your focus. And for me, a perverse enjoyment is 
letting myself try and get really narrow and constricted to just focus on the thing I'm doing because I've got such a busy mind in the rest of my life. So to be on the track doing an 800 and all I've got to do is think about the 800 and really dial into it and then maybe on that recovery run the next day, just allowing that extension and wider vista like Noel's talking about being in nature or wherever you're doing it, even if it's running down the high street, as long as you're not having to bury yourself on six, eight hundreds, that feels quite nice. And again, I'm trying to, where the muscle might have been tensed on the narrowing, it's all about letting it, everything, the body and the mind relax, having done the hard work the night before. So I think we're, we're all in relative agreement about how we like to suffer and reward ourselves. Guys, thanks for your time today. And thanks for hopefully shining a light for listeners on what they can expect to find in this book. And we hope we've put flesh on the bones of it. It's out now, The Psychology of Running Routledge. If you're interested, like I said about Resist, I'll put the details and videos in the show notes. If you want to buy a copy, it's on Amazon and all of the good bookshops. And Noel, Dan, thanks for coming along today. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, Stu. Enjoy the chat with you both. Thank you.